Good morning, church. How are we doing today? You can turn in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 18, and, um, and as you're doing that, or after you do that, um, we'll lift up a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for, um, thank you for this chance to gather in your presence this morning. We thank you for, for your word that as, we, as we're going through life, and we're just trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out how to, to make decisions and choices and to do the right things and to live a good life, and, and you've given us your word as this incredible tool that teaches us how to do that. And so I thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's, uh, it's prepared to, um, to engage with us and, and to cut away things this morning and to challenge us. And so I just pray that we uh, would be ready, that we would be uh, prepared um, spiritually, Lord, just to, to receive what it is that you have to share with us this morning from your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, as we've been studying this, uh, this series, uh, we're looking at the prophet Elijah out of the book of 1 Kings, and, and what we've seen is that Israel has a really significant problem. And, uh, and, and, and part of that problem, the manifestation of that problem, is the fact that they're having a drought. They've been having a drought for three years, and there's, there's been no rain in the nation of Israel for three years at this time when we're reading this passage. And, uh, and so they were looking at it and say, hey, the drought is our problem, or a lack of water is our problem, or a lack of resources is our problem. But as we looked at last week, no, no, the problem was that they uh, had embraced idolatry. They were worshiping a God other than the one true God. And God, in his love and mercy, said, I'm not going to let you keep doing that. I'm going to stop the rain to get your attention and to call you back to me. But three years in, the people were not yet lining up to repent. <laughs> they, 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 they hadn't changed their hearts. They hadn't turned to see God. They were looking for water, and they were looking for help, and they were looking for everything, but they weren't looking to solve the real problem. And we come in this morning, and, and a lot of us have problems in our life, right? We've got issues, we've got challenges, we've got difficulties, and, and, and sometimes the problem is that we're looking at the symptoms rather than the cause. We think that if I just had a little bit more money, that would solve the problem. If I could just get uh, that relationship restored with that person, that that would solve the problem. And, and a lot of those things, it would be good and symptomatic to do, but if you went to a doctor and all they ever did was treated your symptoms and they never got down to the root cause, that would, that would not be a very good doctor, right? Ultimately, you've got to get down to what is the cause. And as we looked at last week, uh, the cause is always at its deepest level tied to our rebellion and our disobedience to God. Because when God created the world, it was perfect and it was good and, and everything in it was good until the time of Adam and Eve's rebellion. And so even sickness, death, hurricanes, all these things, earthquakes, everything that we experience in this life, uh, if you trace it all the way back, is a, re is a result of mankind's rebellion against our Creator. Um, and and so, so he's asking them to deal with that. And this morning, as we come together, we're going to, going to deal with that as well. And, it, and it's laid out really clearly at the beginning of this passage. As we saw last week, uh, Elijah came out of hiding. He went and presented himself to Ahab. And, and Ahab said, oh, the troubler of Israel is back. And he's like, hey, I'm not the troubler. You're the troubler of Israel. You've worshipped idols. You've brought this upon yourself, but now we're going to fix it. Go find all the nation of Israel and all the prophets of Baal and bring them to meet me on Mount Carmel. And so he kind of, we anticipate that this big challenge is about to go down. And so we pick it up in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, verse 20. It says, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel, and Elijah came near to all the people, and this is what he said. How long? Will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. 
But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Let me tell you, that's depressing as a pastor when you get up and you say, either follow God or follow Baal. And everybody's like, (laughs) right? There's no response. And he's like, I don't think they got it. So I'm going to shout a little louder. Listen, Elijah's saying this is a time to choose. For all of us, we come to these moments in our life, right? There, there's a time to choose. You, have, uh, you, you experience this in different ways and in different shapes and different forms, but no way more important than to kind of say, hey, there comes a moment where you have to decide, am I going to follow God? Am I going to do things his way or am I going to do it my own way? Because uh, you might look at this and you might say, oh, okay, I get it. This is an evangelistic sermon. I can kind of check out and think about something else because I've already put my faith in Jesus, so I don't have to, have to pay attention here. But, but I want you to see that the problem in Israel was not that they did not know who God was. Uh, they were very well acquainted. They knew him as the God who had brought them out of Egypt, the God who had brought them out of bondage and through the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. And he was the God of, of the King David, and he was the God of Solomon. But the problem was is that they no longer worshipped him. He just existed in a place of, their, of their, their culture, their history. Kind of like for many Americans, Christianity exists as part of our historical background, Right? My grandparents were Christians. My forefathers were Christians. I still kind of hold on to it, and I'll show up every once in a while. Um, And if you push me on a survey, I'll check Christian, but it's not really the driving characteristic of my life. And, uh, and, and so, so they were in a place that's very similar to where we are today. And so each one of us needs to ask, and we need to really wrestle with, hey, if, if that's what the challenge is, does the evidence of my life show that I have chosen to put all my faith, all my trust, all my allegiance to the one true God? Or there are, some, are there areas in my life where I'm limping back and forth? I want to do it God's way, but I also want to do it my own way. I'm, kinda, I mean, I, I, I'm, mostly, I'm mostly there, but I just kind of want to hang on to a couple things. I want control on my own life. Or, or, or is that descriptive of you this morning? Because I want you to see that God was doing this out of love for the people. He loved them too much to let them keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's a, it's a recipe for disaster, and I've seen it over and over again. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the life of others, that when you know what the right thing is, you know the gospel, you know the word, you know what God desires from you, and you choose to do other things. You choose to base your life on other things. You find your happiness in other things. That that's the recipe for frustration, disappointment. You're beating yourself up. You go out and you do things you're not supposed to do, and then you spend a week uh, feeling guilty and ashamed, but then you find yourself back in that same thing, and it's just kind of this endless loop, and it can get super frustrating. And God, I really believe, wants to free you from that today if you're willing, if you're willing to come and and take him at his word. Uh, The first commandment, God made it really clear in Exodus chapter 20. uh, Moses goes up on the mountain. He gives him the Ten Commandments, and here's how he begins that. He says, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Uh, many of you have heard me talk about this before. Um, uh, 
Oprah shares that this is kind of her anti-testimony, right? Like she was at her church and she heard the pastor preach about a jealous God and she was sitting there and she's like, I can't serve a jealous God. This doesn't make sense to me. Why would God be jealous? And so she left and she created Oprahism or whatever it is that she does. And, um, and the problem was that she didn't understand the distinction between a creator and a creation, right? For us as creative beings, it, it, it is wrong for us to be jealous of other people's worship, to want the attention, to want glory, to want people to revolve their lives around us and for their world to revolve around us. For us to want that would be wrong and it would be damaging and hurtful. But for the creator God, the greatest thing that he could desire for you is that you would orient your life totally and completely around devotion and love and service to him. It's the greatest thing for you and it's what he's worthy of. And so for God to be jealous of our affections is, is because he loves us so much, right? It's, it's similar to if you have somebody that you love and you see them get into a, an abusive relationship, right, where they're, they're with somebody that's not good for them, that they're using them, they're abusing them, they're, they're selfishly just taking and taking and taking, and out of love you would go to that person and you would say, hey, I love you too much to allow you to remain in that relationship. It's not good for you. I know that you think that you're getting something out of it, but I'm, I'm objective enough to see that it's broken. And I want you to leave that behind. And that's what God is saying to us when we, when we go after these false things in our life, these other things that promise us but never deliver, that take and never give. He loves us too much to leave us there. And so I want us to wrestle this morning with this question. What, what are we limping back and forth between, right? Are, are we living for Jesus but also living for our own glory? Are we, are, are we reading in the Bible that we're forgiven and redeemed and children of God, but are we plagued by guilt and continually trying to redeem ourselves and prove that we're worthy of God's love? Are we on a mission of self-salvation? Are, are we finding our hope and our purpose in God? Are we finding it in things of the world? Are we trying to please God and also trying to please others? If you're struggling today, I just want to uh, ask you, what would it look like to completely submit to God in that area of your life where you feel pulled back and forth, where you feel this tension and you're like, I, I feel the world's pull, but I feel what God wants me to do. What would it look like if you just completely submitted to the Lord? And you, have you ever even tried it? <laughs> I want to encourage you that that's what Elijah is saying today. If God is God, serve him, but if Baal, follow him. You can't do both. So let's look at how this unfolds in the passage. Verse 22, Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left, a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. All the people answered, it is well spoken. <laughs> Suddenly they found their voice. They're like, oh, a show? Yeah, this sounds awesome. Yeah, let's, let's do this thing, right? People always like a good conflict, right? Or a fight. So they got front row seats. So they say it is well spoken. So then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first. For you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. They limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Um, now, this is funny, right? Because... <laughs> 
This is like one of the heaviest passages that I've preached in a while, and yet in it is embedded probably like the funniest moment in the Bible, right? Where, where Elijah is like, he's like, hey, he's a, he's a God, right? Maybe he's just deep in thought, or maybe he's going to the bathroom, or maybe he's, maybe he's away on a journey, or, you know, maybe he's just fast asleep. You know, maybe, maybe you just got to shout a little bit louder. Maybe you got to rouse him, right? And so uh, God understands the importance of putting some levity into <laughs> his scripture, right, in a, in a heavy moment. So he says, hey, uh, maybe you just got to do a little bit louder, right? So they cried aloud, verse 28, and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. There was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And so from morning until late into the afternoon, they called and they had this Cirque du Soleil of worship, running around the altar, cutting themselves, shouting, screaming, and nothing happened. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. All the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. He goes to the broken down altar. He takes 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Now remember, they, uh, this was the 10 tribes that had split off from the two tribes of Judah, and so the, the nation was broken. But he says, hey, remember, I'm the God of all of Israel. And he puts it together. And then they take 12 jars of water and they dump them on the altar. Verse 36, And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Man, an amazing account, right, of God sending fire down in answer to Elijah's prayer and demonstrating that he is the true God, the God that answers by fire. He is God. And so I want to look at three things that, that we observe in this passage. Uh, the first one has to do with the order. Uh, now, I don't know about, about you guys, but uh, at, at our house, when we play games, there is always a lot of debate, discussion, and sometimes tears over who gets to go first in any given game, right? And why? Because whoever goes first usually has the best chance of winning, right? Like, usually there's some advantage to being the one who goes first. Uh, Tic-tac-toe, right? If you, if you put your X in the center square, you're not going to lose unless you're, unless you're really not very good at tic-tac-toe, Right? <laughs> There's an advantage to going first. And he said, the, the order here is important. He said, hey, I'm going to give you every advantage. I'm going to let you guys pick your bull. You can pick whichever bull you want. You can sacrifice it uh, wherever you want. And, and your God, Baal, 
God in quotations. Uh, he's the storm God, right? He's the, the God of the storm. So certainly sending a bolt of lightning, that's right in his wheelhouse. So I'm going to set the table for you guys. I'm going to make it really easy. You guys can do whatever you want. There's 450 of you. You can shout and scream real loud. I'm sure that this won't be a problem for you. So he set it up. He even mocked them in the middle of it just to make sure they were giving it their all, right? Like right when they were slowing down, he had to give them a little trash talk. And he said, hey, come on. And nothing happened. No one answered. It was silent. And then, uh, and then when that's exhausted, Elijah sets up his offering. And, and, and it says that he, he dumped jars of water on his offering. Now remember, they're coming out of a three-year drought. <laughs> There's no water in the land. It's, 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 water is a precious, precious commodity. And so it doesn't tell us in Scripture here where the water came from. One possibility is that they went down to the ocean, which was not that far away, and they got uh, seawater and dumped it on. Uh, the other possibility, which is interesting, is, is that they did have some water, a small amount of water left. And, and Elijah said, hey, what you have left, I want you to take it and dump it. I don't want you to put your faith in a false god. I don't want you to put your faith in your own natural resources. I want to show you that you've got to put all of your faith and trust in God. And this is how it works in our life a lot of times, right? The, the moment when we turn to God is when we have totally exhausted the possibilities of everything else. When the false god, the thing that we were worshiping, let us down, proved to be unworthy of our worship, left us high and dry, that's when we were finally ready to say, all right, God, I'm ready to do it your way. Now, now by God's grace, sometimes he lets us see the light in an easier way, but, but, but a lot of times we have to come to the end of our idols. We have to give them every chance to bring us satisfaction. We see this in, in celebrities in, in, in Hollywood all the time, right? These people, they, they, they get the fame, they get money, uh, they get... Uh, they get um, recognition, they have accomplishments, they have trophies sitting on their shelves, they have, uh, they have beautiful husbands and wives, they have children, and they're completely miserable, right? All these things they were pursuing and chasing and going after, and they get them, and they're like, I thought it would be better. I thought it would be more. When I get the iPhone X, right? <laughs> Part of me believes that I'll wake up the next morning and everything will be great. <laughs> the world will be at peace. <laughs> but I know that's not true, right? But yet we live functionally in this way that like, oh man, if I, if I could just get a little bit more money, if I could just get that promotion, if I could just get somebody to fall in love with me, if I could just have some kids, if I, if I could just get healthy, if I could just, if I could just, and we go after these things thinking that they're going to go. And sometimes we have to see them completely fail and exhaust themselves before we're ready to finally do it God's way. My hope for you is that you would look at it and evaluate it today and say, hey, I don't have to go to the end of this road. I can see where it's going. Today's the day to put our trust in the Lord. Second thing, the order was the first one. The second thing is the effort, right? It's not the number of worshipers, the fervency of the worship, or the length of the prayers. It's the object of faith that's far more important than the method of worship. Tons of effort, tons of worship, tons of prayers to a false god will get you absolutely nothing. But the faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed placed into the one true living God will bring you everlasting life. That's just the nature of it. Now, there, there, there was some effort that, that Elijah put in, right? He, he grabbed the 12 stones, he set them in order, he cut up the bull, he had them dump the water, he did his things, and then he prayed a simple and sincere prayer to the Lord. If you read through it, it takes about 15 or 20 seconds to read through his prayer, right? <laughs> After they've been praying and screaming and dancing and cutting themselves and doing all these crazy things for hours and hours and hours, 
Elijah says, Lord, I want these people to see that you're God. And I want them to see that you sent me. And I want you to do it because you're turning their hearts back to you. Simple, sincere, direct. Sometimes we beat ourselves up like, oh man, I wish I had, if I could just get up and pray for three hours in the morning, then I know, right? Hey, start with three minutes if you're doing nothing, right? (laughs) Bring the sincere heart to the true object of your faith. And he'll grow you in that. Jesus said this related to prayer in Matthew 6. He says, when you pray, you must be like, not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. If you, if you don't know how to approach God, or if you think that maybe the reason that things are struggling in your life is because you haven't practiced your religion correctly, maybe I didn't say the right words, maybe I didn't repeat them enough, maybe I didn't do enough good deeds to get my karma back in order, right? It's none of that. It's about effort that's directed towards the king. Any effort rightly directed towards the true king will yield great results in our life. And any efforts that we do in any other direction will be worthless to us. The third thing that we see is just the total completeness of this, right? And we see that, that, that it, it displayed most fully in the execution of the prophets of Baal, which is kind of jarring, right? <laughs> they take 450 prophets of Baal, they take them down to the brook, and they execute them. And, and we've got to look at the context here that the Israel was a theocracy, right? It was led by God. It was God's chosen people set aside. The king was, was to be God's servant, and they were living under the laws that God had established for them. And one of those laws was that, that if you lead someone into false idol worship, that the penalty was death. Right? And so, so here in America, the solution is not round up all the idol, idolaters and slaughter them. Right? That's, not, that's not the application here. But the much closer parallel is when, when someone who struggles with, with addiction says they're done. Right? They dump all the alcohol down the drain. They get rid of the drugs. They delete people out of their phone and block numbers and exit people out of Facebook because they're like, I can't be around. I can't, I, I, none of it. I can't do it anymore. I've got to draw the line. People who struggle with lust say, I, I'm not, I, I, can't, I can't go on my computer without filters. I can't, I can't watch that movie that kind of is, is a little bit into the gray area. I, I can't do that anymore. I've got to draw the line, right? There's got to be a completeness. And we see the completeness in the way that God consumes with his fire. He consumes the bull, the wood, the stones, the dirt, the water, everything. And part of that was because they weren't even supposed to have an altar on this, on this mountain, <laughs> They were supposed to worship in Jerusalem. That was where God had called them to, to worship. But, but when the tribes split off, when Israel split off, they set up these, these false centers of worship of the true God. And, and so God said, hey, I'm going to use this altar, but when I'm done with it, I'm going to destroy it. Because <laughs> I don't want people coming back here and saying, oh, this is where the fire fell. Let's worship God here. He says, I want you to completely obey me. And that means going back to worship as I've called you to worship me. So there's a call for total, complete obedience. And we each have to ask ourselves this morning, is there something that God is calling me to completely remove from my life? Some of you may be here today and you might be like, man, because I recognize this passage in and of itself, it's powerful and it's intense and it's direct. 
But if he's going to do something in your life, it's because he's been preparing you for it. He, he's been working things in your life so that you came in today and you're like, wow, this is the capstone on what God has been doing in my heart. He's been showing me this and showing me this. And I see this passage now as a call to total obedience. It's my hope that you're there today because here's the good news. We serve the God who answers by fire. The God who answers by fire is God. The God that sent fire from heaven and burned all that up. He can do whatever it is that you need in your life. If you're looking for identity, if you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for joy, he can give you those things. He's capable of all those things. And so you might be sitting here today and you might, you might feel like you can relate to Elijah and, and say like, hey, you know what? I've been, I've been ordering the stones and I've been, and I've been setting the, the things up, but I need God to, to send his fire. Remember, Elijah went through three years of the drought with everybody else before God brought his power. If that's where you're at, I encourage you to remain steadfast. Keep doing what God has called you to do, believing and knowing and trusting that in his time he will act, and he will move, and he has the power to do anything that he desires. But if you're here today and you feel this, this call, either worship God or worship Baal, today is your day of decision. I want to share these words that, that Jesus shared to the church in Laodicea. This is in Revelation chapter 3, and here's what he said to them. He said, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm, Neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove. And discipline, so be zealous and repent. If you feel like you've been disciplined by God, if you feel like you're being reproved, it's because He loves you. He loves you too much to keep pursuing things with a false idol. And so He says, Be zealous and repent. Be full of zeal, be full of excitement for who God is, and turn back to Him. And then He and He shares these words Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you're here today and God is calling you to repentance and obedience, I want to encourage you, he is knocking. He says, if you open that door, and you allow him, he will come in and he will, he will dine with you. He will commune with you. He will have fellowship with you. And not only that, but he will invite you to sit on the throne with him. How amazing is that, right? <laughs> he says, I will have you sit on my throne with me. That's an incredible promise. And anything that you have to give up to get that sort of relationship with God is not worth it. <laughs>